This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. The privilege to meet with God, even weekly, is a wonderful thing. But daily is even greater. And uh, I'm so glad you're here this morning. I want to give you a welcome. My name is Ron. And it's going to be my privilege for the next 30 to 40 minutes to visit with you about some really wonderful things that, uh, great events that are going to be taking place at, at New Life over the next week. And in that context, to give you some Bible teaching um, about a really important um, activity in life uh, that has to do with uh, everyday success in living and uh, achieving our purpose in life. For those of you who are new to New Life, this is your very first experience here. I want to say welcome to you. I know there are several of you here this morning, as there always are, and uh, you are guests in our house. And not just in our house, in in our home. This is, uh, you know, this is our spiritual family and community, and we're just delighted and honored to have you as our guests this morning, I want you to make yourself at home, and I've prayed that you will fully experience church this morning, that even if you got drugged here by somebody who was really excited and wanted you to come, or it really doesn't make any difference. The fact that you're here means that, uh, you know, as long as you're going to be here, might as well enjoy it, right? And uh, so I want you to fully experience church this morning, and that means that I pray that you'll connect with God. I've prayed that you'll connect with God's people, and I pray that in some way your life will be changed. It will be enhanced and made better. Because whenever you take a human being and you bring them into the presence of God, certainly the human being should be made better. And so uh, God is here and we are here. And so that's the journey that we're going to be on this morning. Now, um, I want to invite you to, on the inside of your program to take out a half page of notes in there, fill in the blank style, and you can use the pencil there at your chair and begin to fill those in as we move along. And, but I want, to, I want to tell you a story that's going to involve your imagination. So if you could put on your imagination here for just a minute and, and come with me. Just imagine that you decided to go skydiving. Right away, some of you would say, that's got to be an imagination, because that's never happening in real life, right? But let's just suppose that you decided that you're going to go skydiving, and so you go down to the local airport, and you, you, you find out how that happens, you pay your fee, you get signed up for the mandatory training class, and the time of the class comes, and you go to class, and you learn all about it. You learn how they pack the chute. You learn how to strap it on. You learn, you know, um, what's going to happen when you jump out of the plane. You learn how how many seconds you're going to count. You learn what cord you're going to pull. And then the favorite part is what cord you're going to pull if that one didn't work, right? Yeah. And so you're going to go skydiving. You go home the day of your of, of the event occurs. And you get up in the morning and you put on some clothes you wouldn't mind being buried in. And... and and yeah, that's bad, isn't it? Right? <laughs> and so, and so you go to the airport, 
And you notice as you're driving to the airport that your heart rate begins to elevate. Right? And and you keep telling yourself, take big, long, deep breaths. Right? You can feel your heart rate go back down, but not quite to normal. And you get to the airport and it starts to race again and you're starting to breathe again and and you pull in and you park and 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 so forth and you go in and and there's the instructor and the instructor goes over once again all the stuff you need to know and helps you get the suit and everything all strapped on and and your heart's starting to race and and you go out and you get in the plane and now your heart's really starting to race right you taxi down the runway and you, you're breathing again and your heart rate's going back down. But as you start going in the air, it seems like your heart rate goes up in direct proportion to the elevation of the airplane, right? And you get all the way up to where you're supposed to be and the instructor says, let's prepare to jump. Now you're really racing. And so you stand up and everybody in your group stands up and and okay, and the instructor's going over what you need to do and checking everybody's straps and everything. And then they open the door, right? And you can hear the roar of the engines and you can feel the, the air getting sucked out of that, out of that cabin. And, and, and he says, okay, let's all get by the door. And when it's your turn to jump, you immediately learn two very important facts about every adventure. Are you ready for them? Here's the first one. In every adventure, there is what? A moment of commitment. By the way, if you extract the moment of commitment from it, there is no adventure. Everybody on board with that? So in every adventure, whether you're climbing a mountain or jumping out of a plane or or taking the adventure with God, in every adventure, there's a moment of commitment Whether you either decide to go forward with the adventure, or here's the second fact about every adventure. And that is, those who falter at the moment of commitment forfeit the adventure. Many of us in this audience can look way back to a moment when we made our original commitment to become a follower of Jesus And for many of us, that was a very, very, very big decision. It was something brand new in our life and something we had never done. And and, and yet someone had invited us to come to church and, and we began to read that there was a God who loved us and He had given His one and only Son and 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 that He was preparing eternal life for us. But we had a choice to make. And we recognized that that choice would require very significant changes in our lives and in how we looked at life and what we did in life and how we interacted with other people and moral choices and all sorts of other things that were wrapped up in that original decision. But we came to that moment where where we were going to decide, I'm either going to walk with Jesus or I'm not. I'm either going to give my life to Him or I'm not. He sang about it earlier this morning. I surrender all to you. And we made that choice. But friend, in every adventure, there are multiple moments of commitment. Have you noticed that? Yeah. And that commitment gets tested. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. So let's jump into, now I'm going to speak to you about adventure and commitment out of the experiences of the life of somebody 
that even if you've never been to church before, I know you've heard of him. His name is Paul. He's often called the Apostle Paul, and he wrote about half of the New Testament of the Bible. So let's take a look at a few key words from the story of the life of the Apostle Paul. And the first is privilege. Paul was born into a home that was part of the Jewish aristocracy. His father was a member of one of the most prestigious divisions of the Jewish religion. Paul was given an education that was unrivaled by anyone else. He was educated by the very top educator in all of the Jewish nation. He got the best of the best, the creme de la creme. The second word would be advancement. Paul took advantage of that. Not like a lot of young people who would kind of laugh at that and take it for granted because it was the only thing they had ever known. Paul somehow grasped the fact that he had been given something very special And so he decided to follow his father and become a member of that division of the Jewish religion called the Pharisees. And he became a Pharisee when he was old enough to become one. And it was a big, big deal. And he began to study and work hard. And he began to work on his life until eventually he was invited to be in training to become a member of what would be the equivalent of the legislative branch of our government and the judicial branch of our government all put together. It was a thing called the Sanhedrin, and Paul was invited to join the Sanhedrin and become part of that top political body in the entire Jewish nation. And he was invited to do so at a very young age. He was what everyone called a rising star in the Jewish nation. His life was filled with adventure. But onto the scene, there came this Jewish prophet whose name was Jesus, and he didn't fit into the Pharisees' party. He didn't fit into the Sadducees, which was another division of the Jewish religion. He didn't fit into the local synagogue very well. He didn't fit into the local temple very well because those were religious institutions that were steeped in human tradition, and so steeped in human tradition that they had lost sight of the real purpose that God had had created them for. And Jesus began to teach. And Paul was blinded by his own ambition. And so blinded by his own ambition, he didn't recognize the truth when he heard it. And so he convinced himself that Jesus was an imposter and he decided that he would devote himself to the eradication of every follower of Jesus. And he began to persecute and throw into prison and kill and have tortured and who knows what all else, anyone who claimed to follow Christ. But he got a reality check one day. He was leaving the city of Jerusalem, going to the capital of the neighboring country of of Syria, and that capital was Damascus. And on the road to Damascus, Jesus decided it was time to call a timeout in Paul's life. And so as only Jesus could do, he got his heavenly flashlight, which, by the way, is really big, right? 
a bright light came out of the sky and blinded Paul, who was already blinded by his own ambition. And Paul did the only thing he knew how to do. When you get hit with a light that's so bright, you recognize it's not from earth, it's from heaven. You get on your knees in a hurry. And the Bible says Paul fell to the ground. And Jesus gave him some instructions, told him to go into town, and that he would send someone to teach Paul the truth. And he did. It was a reality check. And there, when Ananias came and said, Okay, Paul, let me teach you the truth about life. Paul had a choice to make. But friends, that was not an easy choice for him. For him to leave what he had known all of his life, and his family, his father and his mother, who who certainly were not followers of Christ, And every friend he ever had and all of his associates in the Sanhedrin and and, and to leave the only career that he had ever had and to turn his back on the education that he had received and to leave it all behind and to follow Christ. That was not easy. You know what that was? That was Paul standing by the open door in the airplane and Jesus is saying, are you ready to jump? It was his moment of commitment. And so Paul received an assignment. He chose to jump. And that assignment was to be the primary proclaimer of the message of Christ in Western Asia and in Eastern Europe. And I I went through and counted at least seven different countries that Paul traveled in to, to spread the gospel, and he did it all either by boat or by horse, or horseback or by walking. You know, so much, he, he didn't get to fly from country to country. It took him a while to get there. Amazing stuff. Tremendous adventure. He was shipwrecked. He, I mean, the list of his adventures in life goes on and on. But you know, There was an interruption in his life toward the end. He was arrested for being a follower of Christ. How ironic is that? The one who had arrested and persecuted so many others now found himself arrested for the very same thing. Paul died probably somewhere short of his 55th birthday. And he died having spent seven of the last ten years of his life in prison. And it was from prison that Paul wrote our core Bible teaching this morning. I want you to take a look at it because he says some really, really powerful things about commitment. He says he, that's Jesus, broke the power of death and illuminated illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. And God chose me to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of this good news. That is why I'm suffering here in prison, but I'm not ashamed of it, for I know the one in whom I trust. And I'm sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted, and other translations say committed to him until the day of his return. Let's isolate just four phrases out of that passage and take a look at what they teach us about commitment. 
First one is this. He broke the power of death. You see, Paul made the commitment to follow Jesus because he knew the purposes of Christ were colossal and eternal. I want you to think with me just for a minute. If you were to take across the United States, how much money do you think we spend in our nation every year trying to break the power of death in our lives? It's pretty amazing. It would be billions and billions of dollars. Can I tell you this? It doesn't get any bigger than breaking the power of death. That's the, 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 the supreme issue of the human race, and that is, what about life, what about death, and what about life after death? And we work at that every day. Now, think with me for a minute. Once Paul finally got hold of the truth that Jesus had broken the power of death, And that someday he would return to the earth and he would speak the word and all of us would be raised from the dead and we could, by the power of Jesus, we could live forever and that death would never ever be a part of our lives from that day forward. Once Paul got a hold of that, he said, now that's something worth living for. It beats being a Pharisee. It beats being part of the Sanhedrin. It beats... It beats the education I've got. It's the greatest thing anyone could ever get a hold of. Phrase number two is this. God chose me. You see, Paul made the commitment to follow Jesus because he had been given an invitation to be used by God in a special way. That's such an important thing. You see, the invitation that Christ gives to you and to me is not just an invitation for salvation. It's not just an invitation, oh, come and accept this truth in your life and embrace this truth in your life, and someday when you die, you will live forever. That's great. But God gives us an invitation for an actual purpose right here on this earth. Not just a purpose in eternity. It's a purpose right now. And Paul said, God chose me so that, so that he got the opportunity to go share the good news with lots and lots of other people. The third thing is this, the third phrase. That's why I'm suffering here in this prison. There's a very powerful truth about commitment, and that is Paul's commitment to Jesus faced serious tests. Would you consider prison a serious test of your commitment? would be mine. I can tell you that for sure. And if I spent seven out of the last ten years of my life in a prison only to die by being martyred for my faith, I would say those are really, really, really big and serious tests. And sure enough, Paul's, Paul's commitment was seriously threatened. You see, our moment of commitment, okay, is what we perceive to be our moment of greatest risk. And when the risk is ratcheted up, that's when our commitment is tested. And God is saying, I will make you strong for that. Because whether it's the decision to follow Christ, 
or the decision to go on 35 days of prayer or the decision to go to 12 hours of prayer or the decision to go to the, to the concert of prayer or any other commitment that you make, it's going to get tested because that's how life works. Paul's was tested as well. And then statement number four is this. I know the one in whom I trust. I know the one. Would you just circle and underline whatever you can do to the word no? I want you to to see that Paul didn't say, I know about the one. What did he say? I know the one in whom I trust. Paul didn't waver at the moment of commitment because he knew he could rely on Jesus. How did he know that? What did he know about Jesus? He knew this. He knew that Jesus would never lie to him and and therefore every promise that Jesus had made to him would actually come true. And when Paul was able to get a hold of that truth and to realize that the promises of Jesus, you can take them to the bank, every one. Friend, when you decide to become a follower of Jesus, you're not just playing the percentages. You understand the difference? Because when the percentage is 100%, there's no real risk. Everybody understand that? And so, when we become followers of Christ, it's, it's not, golly, I hope... I'm one of the lucky ones where the promises of Christ come true in my life. There are no lucky ones in Jesus. For every promise He makes always comes true. That's why Paul didn't waver in the moment of commitment. He didn't falter at that time. Now let me show you how this applies in our lives. Okay? The first is this. Christ's purposes on this earth haven't changed. And you know what that means? It means they're still worthy of our commitment. You know, that that concept of breaking the power of death, that's still the purpose of Christ. As, As the writer of Hebrews would say, one of the reasons that Jesus left heaven and came to earth was so that He might rescue you and me who live our lives in bondage to the fear of death. One of the things that I get to do as a pastor is I get to help people during the most significant moments of their lives. And it's not, I mean, it happens all the time. My phone rings, Pastor, can I come in and pray with you? Yes, come in and pray with me. What's going on? I've just been diagnosed with cancer. And they walk into the building and we sit down and I look in their eyes and you know what I see? I see fear. Why? Because it's an uncomfortable thing for us to face our own mortality, especially when we think it's imminent. But friend, I can tell you it's going to be imminent for all of us one day, right? I think it was Gordon McGee, the 
said the other day as he was quoting Billy Graham. When Billy Graham often gets asked, when do you think Jesus is coming? His standard answer is, I don't know, but for you it's less than 70 years. You got it? It's coming. So let's get ready for it and recognize that's a part of life and, and deal with it. So that's the first thing. Christ's purposes on earth haven't changed. Number two, we've been given by God an invitation to be used in a very, very special way. In this church, God has given us a wonderful invitation to be used in a very, very special way in His kingdom. Many of us have tapped into that. Many of us have accepted that. Many of us have said, oh yes, Lord, use me in a very, very special way. And God has and is doing things through us that even just a few months or years ago, we would, we would never have believed. But that's the invitation that actually God gives not just to us, but he gives it to anyone who's willing to sign on with him. There's never been a person who said, oh yes, God, I will become a follower of Jesus. Now, what do you want to do through my life? God has never said, well, nothing special, really. <laughs> Can you imagine him saying that? No, it's an inv the invitation that he gives us is, is, that's why, friends, it's called the great adventure. I mean, once we lock into that, and once we embrace it into our life, and I recognize there's a moment of commitment that happens before that, and it's our moment of perceived of, of, of our perceived greatest risk. And that is, what happens if I embrace that into my life? And God says, okay, you ready? Well, my assignment for you is blank. And we go, I don't want to do that. I'd sooner jump out of a plane than do that. Yeah. By the way, you remember what Bob said at the beginning of communion? After we got done singing that beautiful song, I surrender all to you. Remember what he said? He said, isn't it amazing how much easier that is to sing than it is to live? And there's no doubt in my mind that that some maybe many in our audience this morning, are right at that moment of commitment. For some, it's the, it's the moment of commitment to follow Christ. You've heard about it. You've been around it maybe for a while. But you personally have never said, that today, I'm going to do that today. Today's the day I'm jumping. For some, it's a whole process that I'll talk to you about in just a minute. But it's that moment of commitment. Okay? Let's go to number three. Our commitment to follow Christ will face serious tests. Anything you do in life is going to be tested if it's got any value to it at all. And number four is this. If we really know Jesus, our commitment to Him will not fail during the moment of commitment. If we really know Him. And that's why for 35 days, actually 28 days right now, We've been on this wonderful journey of connecting with God, of, of walking with Him, and so forth. So now, I want to pray with you, if I could, uh, for, for just a couple of minutes, and, and then I've got some other things I want to talk to you about. Father, you know the individual heart of every person in our audience this morning. 
And Father, no doubt there are some here who've never made that decision to say, Christ is worth following. That that His teachings have the power to change my life. I've seen them change other people's lives. And most of all, that Jesus can help me face my own mortality. That He came to break the power of death. To bring forgiveness. To enable me to live in God's presence forever. Lord, I pray that any in our audience who haven't made that decision, we get that issue settled right here, right now. So that this day, May the 31st, 2009, would be the beginning of a whole new chapter in their lives. And Lord, for those of us that you're speaking to us about some other issue, it could be something in our marriage, it could be some habit in our lives, it could be some form of bondage, it could be hatred or anxiety or jealousy, God, the whole gamut. Whatever it is you're speaking to us about, that we are so fearful of surrendering to you. Would you help us right now to surrender that completely so that we can then walk in the joy and the freedom of a fully surrendered life? I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 28 days now we have been in the great adventure. Many of us, I hope virtually all of us, have 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 been in that wonderful partnership with God for 28 straight days. In the process, God has given us an invitation to this church to carry the message, the same message that Paul got to carry to Western Asia and Eastern Europe. God has given us the wonderful privilege of carrying that message to this community and, yes, even to parts of the world. What a great invitation. About three years ago, this church took a huge turn in its desire to follow God. And Christ called us on a spiritual journey that we called Ready. And it's been an amazing three years. And anything that God calls His people to, He only gives little glimpses of ahead of time because He doesn't really come and say, could I have your permission for you to follow me in this? Understand how that works? Didn't necessarily spell it all out. But God gave us little glimpses. And uh, so uh, we challenged our media department and said, put together a video that kind of chronicles our plan versus God's plan. Take a look. You know, for many of us, uh, we remember those days of plaster dust. Remember that? It was like eternal plaster dust around here. Uh, But uh, what a wonderful time of walking with God. Well, that was phase one. And God calls us to phase two. And uh, you could tell by watching that that phase one took significant amount of commitment from God's people. Phase two will require no less. There's just more of God's people this time around. And so that's a great thing. And so I want to take four or five minutes and just kind of lay it out for you. Uh, Many of you have been to um, vision meetings that we've had. I know that several of you were not able to come. So let me uh, try to bring you up to speed as quickly as I can about what phase 
2 actually is. Um, phase 2 is uh, what God wants to do next in the church, and, and, and it, it's got uh, several different elements. So the first element is uh, a desire to take $300,000 and set it aside as a mortgage reserve to put the church in really, really sound financial health. It also includes adding two additional staff members to give relief to our uh, current staff members who are working anywhere from 10 to 20, sometimes even in excess of 20 hours of overtime each week. Um, It involves finishing our secondary auditorium. If you haven't seen it, it's back in that corner of the building. It's uh, going to end up to be a room very much like this room with its own stage and its own lighting system and its own sound system, except instead of seating five or 600 people like this room can, it'll seat about 150 to 200 people. Then a second story. We have uh, several thousand square feet upstairs that we cannot use or develop, although we need to. Uh, we can't do that until we can put in an elevator and a stairway and so forth, and, and those are significant items. Then uh, parking lot works pretty good today, but when it rains, it tempts the people who clean the building after that to say things they should not say anywhere, let alone at church, right? <laughs> roof repair. Um, we, we have a roof that uh, if you were to go up above the lobby, up above those, those beautiful white ceiling tiles, you would find at least nine five-gallon buckets that are there in, when it rains, okay? Just to catch the stuff that comes through. Uh, signage, uh, shouldn't have to explain that to those of you who are here for the first time today. You probably came down Clegg Street and you saw maybe eight or ten parking places and thought, man, there must be no one who goes to this church. Where's the parking lot? Well, it's clear on the opposite side because we don't have signs yet to get you there. Outdoor storage, probably doesn't need a lot of explanation. Video recording system, uh, local cable access has begged us for years to, to uh, record our church services, they will broadcast them free of charge here, here in this town and, and really want us to. The building is already pre-wired for that, um, but we don't have the television cameras nor the, the uh, director's console yet to do that. And then last of all, what you're sitting in was originally designed to also be a gymnasium. And uh, so it's, uh, it's probably a fifty to $75,000 uh, ticket just to, just to do the conversion into a multi-purpose room that's truly multi-purpose and not just an auditorium. So what, what does all that cost? What do you add all that up to? Well, we don't know actually for sure, but it's somewhere uh, probably just north of a million dollars total is, is what that takes. Is that a big number or a little number? What do you think? That's big, isn't it? Right? Yeah. Is that bigger than God? What do you think? No, no, that's, that's a small number to him. So, okay, so that's, that's probably about what it's going to cost. How is that possible? Well, I'm going to tell you how it's possible. We've been praying a prayer, God, what do you want to do through me? And the truth is, I wish I could say everybody, but I know that we're all human beings and some of us are not ready for that point of connection with God. It's too scary. We're in the plane, but we're not ready to jump yet. But I know that there are many of us who are connecting with God to the point that when God says, okay, here's what I want to do. I want to bless you. I want to bless you with more than you really need. And I want to ask you to be faithful to take the extra that I'm going to give you. 
And I want you to turn that over to my kingdom because for two reasons. Number one, I want to move my kingdom forward. But number two, I want you to know and experience the joy of being able to give like that. There's a whole bunch of us that did that three years ago. And the stories are truly amazing. Truly amazing. We all thought we were going to have to do without cars and houses and all that stuff. And guess what? We all end up with cars and houses anyway. Because God gave us more than we needed. And so that, that's, how it's, that's actually how it's going to happen. Now, what's been done so far? Well, uh, we've challenged the leaders of New Life to take this journey in advance of everybody else. And so Friday night, we got uh, about 100 of the leaders of the church. These are key ministry leaders, ministry volunteers, staff members of the church, spiritual stewards, financial stewards, and their spouses, and we got them in this room, and we said, would you please go before the rest, make your commitments in advance, and lead the way. We had a wonderful time of worship. We had a great, a great meal, too. That was really a great time. You know, we all came dressed in formal attire. Can you imagine that? Some of us clean up pretty good. We had to wear name tags, though, because we didn't really recognize each other. And, you know. <laughs> we had a great time, and... Um, we took some time to pray, to get alone with God, and, and to make our, our, our final commitments. And um, I, I don't know the total number of actual commitments that were made, but I know what the total dollar figure is. Would you be interested in that? You're sure? You know, God blessed in a, in a wonderful, wonderful way. And those uh, 100 people, which represents probably about 50 different families and family units, uh, God moved in their hearts over the next three years, over and above what they usually and normally give to the church, to give an additional $675,000. That's a big number, don't you think? I want you to think about this. If the total cost is somewhere just north of a million dollars, $675,000 is 67.5% of the journey. We're almost 70% of the way there. You know, and, and that's not even half of the people in our church. Yes, I'm sure those are the most committed people in the church. But that's the challenge that I want to give with, to you this morning. For those of you who are left, who, who weren't at that particular dinner, okay, Go home and pray this week and say, okay, God, we've got 50 families or so who have said, I know that God wants to do, continue to do a great thing in the church. And uh, God, would you take us the rest of the way so that we can supply that other 30 to 35%. And, uh, and then here's what's going to happen next week. We have a great celebration event. I want you to hear this very clearly. We have one service Next Sunday morning. Everybody say that. Ready? One service next Sunday morning. What time is it? Now You guys are all over that. All right? Now, unlike most Sundays when you come a little bit late. Okay? It's going to be packed in here. So you're going to want to come early. All right? So one service. Uh, we're going to have a great time talking about Jesus. We're going to talk about the great adventure of victory. Um, 
And uh, we have some wonderful things to learn out of the life of Jesus. And then all of us are going to be given the opportunity to join in this portion of the great adventure, which has the whole of next three years and helping the church accomplish phase two uh, on, on our assignment from God to do that. Um, you're going to be given the opportunity to be able to make a commitment to that. And so I want you to pray about that this week because I'm going to be praying for you. But I want you to pray about that because next Sunday when you come, I don't want you to just make a commitment. Oh, well, everybody else is doing it. I guess I'll do it. Because, friend, if you do that, there's no adventure in that. Okay? There's no partnership with God in that. And what enables this church to change lives is the fact that it's a partnership with God. And that's what I want you to hear loud and clear. And if you pray, then, then ask God, hey God, give me, a, give me a number that you want to supply through me. And if you'd be so kind, give me a process. In my particular case, our particular case, God gave me a process and a number. I shared it with Monica and, and we kind of felt okay with it. I felt okay about the process. I didn't feel okay about the number. I felt like the number should be higher. But that was the process God gave. But I didn't remember that there were actually two of us in this marriage, right? And Monica came back and said, Hey, guess what? God gave me a process and another number to add to your process and number. And then we were both happy with the number and both of the processes. So now for the next three years, we get to walk out those processes. And then we did one other thing. We prayed that somehow, not only would God bless both of those processes and the resulting number, but that somehow he would do something over the next three years in the surprise department. That would enable us to do something that at this point we can't even imagine or envision. So I want to challenge you. Go home and pray. Get in touch with God. And then let's let God work in our lives. We'll have a great celebration Sunday. Now pray with me a short prayer. Father, this week, such an important week in many of our lives. Thank you so much for the church. God, thank you for the 500 plus people who have made decisions to follow Christ in this church. And Lord, we look forward to many, many more in the future. Would you work in and through our lives this week so that when we gather together next week, we would know very clearly what you've instructed us to do individually. And God, would you give us the faith not to falter in that moment of commitment, but to recognize that we have the opportunity to go on that great adventure with you. So now we commit ourselves to you. We do it in the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.